Hello, I'm Kenza, and this is the Finding Space podcast. Welcome back to the Finding Space podcast. This week, I interview Michael Sheehan, former professional cyclist from Austin, Texas. Michael is late to cycling, and he talks about his rise through the ranks to a professional team, but then also opens up about more difficult times and how a series of concussions brought his career to a rather short end. Enjoy. So I started racing in 2011. That was my first year of college. In 2012, I got a guest ride at the end of the season with Elbows Racing at a UCI race. And that Elbows was like this big team in Texas that had um, riders like Eric Marcotte and Travis McCabe were on it. It was led by a former New Zealand national champion, Heath Blackrove. It was was this really slick professional outfit owned by a um, former MotoGP racer, Ben Spies. It was just, it was dialed. It was really, really good support on that team. They, it was technically amateur, but they paid riders. Uh, Guys like Heath, who were like the senior riders on the team, were like making good money by domestic professional cycling standards, which is bad money by anybody else's standards. But, you know, you're racing your bike. So sweet. So, uh, and, and then, yeah, like guys like lower down were, you know, getting a stipend, a few hundred dollars a month, but that was something. So in 2013, I came on to that team. And then 2014 was the first year that I started making like a couple hundred dollars a month riding my bike. And 2015, like it went up. And, and that was my last year of college. Then 2016, I signed with Jelly Belly and ironically took a paid cut going to Jelly Belly, which is a professional team from Elbows. But, you know, that's how it goes. Kind of like had to get to the next Pretty level. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was super funny. Like I said, the Texas scene back then was wild. It was like really, really quality racing. You know, going around skating in Austin to being a pro. But do you think there was anything in that sort of style of, you know, riding and being creative and expressing yourself and wanting just to go and find some crazy steps to go off and just really enjoying yourself. Do you think any of that transitioned into cycling and benefited you? Or do you think there was no sort of crossover? I think the crossover is the mentality where I just really, really enjoy a challenge. And just like the the skateboarding, it, it was a challenge and that it was something that was like scary and I wanted to, yeah, just push myself to see like how big I could go, how far I could go. Same with cycling. Cycling was just something that was so, so hard. And it was, it was just such a big challenge. And I just felt like I wanted to see again, how far I could personally push myself to go with it. There's just such a determination in those sort of skateboarding and BMX of just like spending all day trying to get one thing done that sort of attitude oh, it's, of, it's totally obsessive yeah, yeah you, you have to be like you have to be really obsessive i think and constantly seeking improvement like going out whether you're like skateboarding or getting on a bike it's like every time you're riding you are very very actively trying to get better when it transitioned to that time of being a professional and you were earning money for it did anything change in your mindset to it did it become more of a difficult thing to take or was it still just a complete enjoyment something new there definitely became less enjoyment i think that, that honestly they're probably i would have done better as a professional cyclist had there been more of a mental shift because i i don't know I, I don't think that i like fully took on the role of just 
being a like cutthroat bike racer showing up to win bike races and that's like all i do um i don't think i took that role seriously enough because i kind of came onto the jelly belly team and was like oh i'm still like relatively new to this i want to learn i want to help my teammates win bike races but ultimately on like a especially a low level team like that you're just not gonna you're not going to be rewarded for that mentality. That team ultimately just wants to run a pirate ship of winners and guys who are hungry and like going to go race for themselves. Was and that a difficult environment to be in? It, it wasn't for me because, yeah, then circling back around to like the mentality that I had, uh, a, a lot of like these activities that I did throughout my um, childhood, young adulthood were kind of escapist and looking for enjoyment one thing i just love about the bike is going out and like big six plus hour days and just seeing like how far i can go and what new places i can see and yeah that mentality isn't really what wins bike races you have to just be yeah you have to be cutthroat and like in it for yourself to a degree and just you know live to win and that was something that i didn't really understand until it was kind of too late was that something that you struggled with at the time or was that something you'd realize when you look back? A bit of both. And I started to realize it my second year on Jelly Belly. But at, at that point, I was kind of honestly over it. I feel like if I could go back, I probably wouldn't do anything differently because I did race as a good teammate. The one thing I would change is I trained too hard. I, I was kind of like constantly just overtraining myself and over reaching what my coach was telling me to do, um, which usually led to pretty painful summers of just like going through a pretty big slump of needing recovery. But yeah, I don't know the, the team dynamic, honestly, on that team, it just wasn't for me and I didn't find it a very positive, um, place for improvement. So in that environment, was there any form of either support for, your like mental health and those sort of struggles and difficulties you might have been having or was there even an awareness of like mental health well-being so everything on jelly belly was very much if you need something you have to sort it out yourself nobody's kind of looking after you nobody is checking in and just like saying like hey how's your how's your training how are you feeling like we noticed this and that in your last race instead it was just a very lazy management style i I would say where like if you do well they're stoked and they just leave you alone and if you don't do well they're just kind of like subtly behind your back mad at you but don't actually like do anything to confront and correct the issue and what was that like to deal with was it frustrating uh i'd say more disappointing because i really went there wanting to learn how to be a professional athlete like keep in mind i'd only been racing my bike for like four years or something. And a lot of guys who like have been racing since they were 12. So yeah, I I was hoping for just like more of a, um, a a team that would like help develop me. That's what I really wanted. And, um, yeah, I didn't find it there. When you were struggling with maybe mental health or just feeling down and not having an outlet, did you do anything? Did you have things, hobbies you'd escape or things you'd do? Honestly, kind of like just breaking the cycle of racing and like kind of beating your head up 
against a wall of like going into races when you're not at your best and like kind of not performing well. Um, you, you can't just like keep doing the same thing that isn't working and just getting some time at home, maybe like taking a little break. But as I said, I really like just riding my bike for long distances. And if I could just like get myself back in my rhythm of training, going through like preparation that I know works for me and going out on big, big, long bike rides, that's kind of my happy place. And I'll just go out and listen to music or listen to podcasts and so is it kind of a a double-edged sword that your escape and your de-stress was kind of a thing that created the overtraining and the yeah totally so the (laughs) thing that made you happy kind of it had a negative impact on performance uh, i mean yes and no Uh, i would say like i think that that training was okay for me but i would just do way too much of it in the winter and partly because it was just so easy to ride so much in the winter in austin because the weather is pretty great um I I would just do it a little bit too early in the year and I'd have a little bit, just not enough left, uh, left over for the second half of the season. If there had been an understanding of mental health well-being within the team and an active approach to it, do you think your career would have lasted longer? That's, that, that's a tough question. I definitely think that my career would have lasted longer um, on certain teams that do have a track record of really looking after uh, their athletes best interests and kind of like checking in with them and just having a very hands-on management role of like, this is, you know, really just having a team that's like, look, we've seen lots of riders come through here and do deal with what you're dealing with. And this is how we help them. Um, and there are teams out there that do that, uh, that are very hands-on. I knew going into jelly belly that it wasn't going to be a team like that. And I kind of, gave myself a two year time frame when I went on to jelly belly either you know like get through like the low tier domestic professional racing in America and move on in two years or just go do something else because ultimately jelly belly isn't a home partly because they don't yeah they they don't look after like the riders as a human being it's more of like an asset to get into the races that they need to go to to sustain the business and there will be like one or two riders on the team that are very very well looked after but they're usually guys who have um world tour legs i would say and they're the ones who are like you know like get the majority of the salary uh budget on the team and the rest of the guys just aren't were you ever open about mental health with other riders the times that i actually realized that I was probably having some issues with it. I, um, and this is a big reason why I wanted to stop racing at that level is I got a few concussions and concussions are scary. Uh, they're super scary. And I, I definitely just noticed an altered mood after I had them on the team where I would go into like a massive funk, be like kind of depressed. I remember I got one at the tour of California and it was like the only time I've ever kind of like threw my bike to the ground it was in grass i was like even drive side up i wasn't trying to destroy it but i was just yeah like in a in a different headspace and that lasted for probably like two weeks i had to go to a doctor because um yeah i could just tell that my head wasn't right and i've had i had another uh concussion about a year later i was doing 
again, a really long bike ride. It was like my favorite route that I just love doing. And I was like on the literally farthest point away from home that I could have been. And my fork snapped under me and just like this really freak thing. I'm so lucky. I was just like slowly rolling to a, a red light and my fork broke. So I was going really slow, but like the wheel came backwards, punched through the down tube, the whole bike just exploded. And I just went like straight onto my head. And that was kind of like, I call that the day that I quit racing professionally. Cause I would just, I didn't want to ride equipment that I didn't trust anymore. Uh, the helmets were pitifully outdated on that team. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a really weird thing. So that was, um, I think that that point is when I really realized that I needed to start taking care of my head because I know I knew like, just like the emotional swing that can have, that can happen when you hit your head. So like concussions or something, I'm just very, very freaked out about because of my time on jelly belly, especially. So you were, well, a long way out. How did you get back? Yeah, I got a, some, a very kind bystander who I crashed right next to called an ambulance and they come like, came and looked at me and were like, you're fine, but, um, but we'll give you a very expensive ride to the hospital if you want. So I said no. And yeah, I just, uh, sat on a picnic table for like two, two and a half hours and waited for my mom to get there. And yeah, I had a lot of thoughts about just not wanting to race my bike anymore <laughs> during that time. So that was a pretty tough yeah, it, it was Tough awful. It, it was actually like I was pulling myself out of one of, I like put myself into a slump um, earlier that year, uh, just like kind of overtrained for a race that I ended up not being taken to. So that was that was pretty tough. And I, at that point, kind of like knew that I wasn't going to pursue racing professionally um, after that season, but I was really motivated to finish off the season and like get back to top form and just kind of like close that chapter on a really high note. So I put in a whole lot of work, um, for like the two months leading up to this crash. And the day after this crash, I was supposed to fly to a stage race in Oregon. And I was really, really excited for it. It's one of my favorite races. And I like felt like I had gotten myself back on form for it. And then this crash happened. Um, it, it was just, it was so disappointing and I still, I got on the plane the next day and still went and raced, but I was again, like I was just not really myself at that race. And it was just because of the concussion really like my body was fine, but I just hit my head and I just, I just felt bad. I was like, kind of like, just uh, again, like kind of like depressive symptoms, um, which I had after other concussions and just like kept to myself that entire week and was just in this, really weird funk so you'd got on the plane to oregon to yeah. race and you you were fully aware of the sort of depressed state you were in yeah did you tell any did you had you told people that you'd crashed yeah i told people that i crashed but that was kind of like that that was really as far as i took it with the team like i didn't didn't uh i didn't really want it wasn't something i wanted to talk to the managers about really i didn't like see them as confidants really at that point that like my head was hurting i knew that like ultimately there i felt like i was either going to get like can you race or can you not race and then we'll like 
either send you to the race or not send you to the race. And I probably shouldn't have raced. You shouldn't do that after you have a concussion. But what was it like racing in in those sort of with? I mean, you said your body was fine and you felt fine, but in that headspace. Uh, well, that's that's kind of like the weird thing about the concussion is that like you still, even though like you you know like I, I wasn't like I didn't have road rash, I wasn't bruised or anything, but you're still not very good when you have a concussion. Um, you can tell something's off and it's not just your head. I didn't, I didn't feel strong on the bike during the race. Like I had, um, the weeks leading up to it. You're also very scared of crashing. Um, especially with a concussion because you should not hit your head a second time if you, um, are suffering from a concussion. So that doesn't help things, but yeah, in general, I don't know. You just feel like you just feel off your game. That's, that's how I would say I felt after every concussion is there just be like, a couple of weeks where you, you're just you're just off your game do you are there things that now a few years on that you look back and you would maybe implement or change that would help that team function i mean not in a whole scale but in terms of actually having an awareness of mental health would it be rider pushed as in having a space for riders to communicate with each other or management push so there's someone there you could always talk to Uh, the dynamic on cycling teams especially one like that when you're with a bunch of riders is like they're they're all like kind of your friends but also kind of your competition in a lot of ways they're like there are a few riders that you form close bonds with but ultimately a lot of riders are kind of like it comes contract season and sometimes it's either your job or theirs and that's like a very it's just such a stressful environment to work in in general and one that does not lend itself to um good a good mental health environment because you're yeah you're, you're just always feeling like you're competing for a job like every every race you do essentially is another audition another tryout and that's it's a very very stressful place to just workspace to be in and i think that like every team really should have it doesn't have to be a doctor or anything but like somebody to just like kind of like talk to the riders and walk them through things i think that i think that that would be huge and it not just for like the riders well-being but for the team's well-being because you know like when when riders have an outlet to like kind of like voice their thoughts. I'm, I would guarantee you that they would be able to ride better and perform better. You'd had this sort of day going out on the bike and you'd had this crash and you were sat at this bench waiting that time, you know, from that moment, how, how did you deal with that sort of having that sort of an impact, not only, the crash but just like mentally that was quite obviously a defining moment for you uh, yeah you just kind of like look back and you're like what am i doing with my life and yeah sitting on this park bench after that crash that just like really hit me well i'm like i'm just like physically hurting myself um for like almost no gain here uh and that that was kind of it and that was kind of like where it snapped but like I had this idea that I wasn't going to keep racing with Jelly Belly after that year, but then, you know, I get back into racing as um, later in the season, and you know, I kind of like I'm like, 
writing well again. And I'm like, man, this is so fun. I, th- this is what I love doing. And you're like, maybe, maybe I'll just do one more year, but, um, jelly belly wasn't going to renew my contract at the end of that year. Um, and it was like pretty clear, like it, it just wasn't a good fit. Um, but that, that hurt really bad having them not renew with me. And I was like pretty distraught that night. Um, was the night that that, that I had found, the crash? No, 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 the night that I found out that I wasn't going to have the contract renewed. Okay, which is like kind of ridiculous because it, I wasn't in a happy place on this team. It was something that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I just wasn't. Ultimately, I wasn't happy on that team, and then like I find out that I'm like not going to be on that team, and I wanted to continue for some reason. It's just like this, yeah, almost sort of a drug of just needing the racing. But th- the funny thing is like, I was like really upset that night. And then the next morning I just felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders and I like woke up like a whole new person. I'm like, why was I so sad last night? This is, I kind of just needed, um, needed that push out the door essentially to be like, Oh no, I have things that I'm going to, that are going to make me much happier than this. And I definitely should not do another year of it. Do you think if you had been in the situation where they had renewed your contract, your mental health would have just continued to decline? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I should not have done another year on that team. And the scary thing is I don't know if I would have had the self-control to um, to not do it. I, I like to think that I would have walked away and like you know like them not renewing not renewing my contract was like maybe like feeling rejected instead and not actually like missing an opportunity but yeah it it, cycling like just racing it just draws you in it it just draws you in and it's like just kind of a lifestyle and you feel yeah when it's good it's so good did, did you feel like walking away in any kind would be a failure? Yeah, I definitely knew that I had more to give in the sport. Um, like I didn't come anywhere close to, um, yeah, like fulfilling the potential that I knew that I had. Um, for, for like a variety of reasons, I would say. And walking away was tough more so just because I knew that, uh, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't really get to see what I was capable of, but a big reason why I did put that, like going into jelly belly saying like, you should only be on this team for two years and then you need to like move on or move out is because ultimately if you racing in Europe is where I wanted to go for, uh, on a world tour team, but I started racing when I was 19. So I was on such an accelerated timeline. It was nigh on impossible. I had to be, I'm not like a a, a immense, huge talent like Mike Woods. Mike Woods can do that, but like he is, you know, one of the most gifted athletes in the world. Um, so like for me to make that jump to the world tour and yeah, by the time I was like 26, that would be a huge, huge ask, but had to give it a shot and I knew that if I didn't do that after two years on Jelly Belly I wasn't going to go to Europe and 
even if I went to a different, a better team in America, I was still just doing the same races, living the same lifestyle, maybe a little bit more comfortably on a team that looked after me a bit better. But ultimately it was going to be like, yeah, just kind of like treading water in the same pool. And that isn't what I wanted to do. You know, if I had like unlimited money, I, yeah, maybe I'd have uh, kept playing bikes for, you know, the rest of my twenties, but that wasn't really the case. And yeah, I just, I knew deep down that I needed to move on. It was just tough at the time. Do you think it's possible to make sure that the well-being of athletes is stable throughout their career and do really well? Or is it just one of those things that it's such a sort of cutthroat system that's been built over generations that it doesn't really allow for the caring of the well, like well-being of athletes? That's such an interesting question. Um, I've never really thought about it like that. I think that, I mean, there's definitely a place. You you have to care for the athletes. You have to make sure that, you know, mind, body, and soul are in as good a shape as possible. But, um, yeah, you, you also just want to have athletes who are a little bit sociopathic I'd say with that just drive to win because they are the ones generally who are um yeah just putting themselves in the fight every day uh but yeah I I think that that's one thing I noticed when I started racing one of the first things I noticed is that the people who you're racing against in the peloton are very can be very different than when you talk to them on the sidelines because we all just kind of go into this really intense state in racing where we're tr- we're just so focused, focused on winning. And then, um, yeah, the, the good ones, I would say, are the ones who can get into that state and just be locked in, focused on winning, but then snap out of that mode when they, when the race is over and just kind of behave and reintegrate into society like a friendly normal person just a young athlete starting out would you give that advice to them even if they're not going through a particular issue would you now looking back give that advice to someone saying like make sure you're open with people and don't you know don't hide away yeah totally and that is when people ask me who are kind of like coming up and cycling and like looking at going professional or like getting on a professional team. That's one of the pieces of advice that I always give is talk to everybody, you know, make friends. It's useful in pretty much every way from, you know, just getting on a team, you know, no team's going to hire you if they don't know who you are. If um, a lot of teams listen to riders vouching about um, other riders to make signings, uh, just, just talk to the people who do it. Um, make a lot of friends. You know, don't don't just try to do it yourself. That's something that I tried to do was just figure it out on my own, and that was super dumb. Thank you for listening. If you would like to see the portraits from this week's episode, please go to findingspace.cc. For more interviews like this, please subscribe to the Finding Space podcast. But more importantly, if this story resonated with you, please share. The more we engage with the topic of mental health, the further we can go to break down the stigma.